0: Tonight. Let it not be my words I'm singing or the notes that they're playing or the words that Jonathan speaks, but may it be God's words through us. We are by instruments in a
1: world that's fading away. Let us use all the time we have to give glory to God. We say all this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. While you're having a seat, make sure that you uh, get a note sheet and a pen. Um, have a note sheet for tonight like we have been through this entire uh, series. And if you have a Bible, uh, we are going to be in James chapter 3, starting in uh, verse 1. We're going to be James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Um, and while you guys are finding your note sheets and uh, finding a Bible, um, tonight we are going to be talking about the power... Of words, the power that the tongue holds. But in order for us to jump into this passage, we need to be reminded of who wrote James, why he wrote it, um, and kind of the the track that we've been on thus far. So James, again, is the brother of Jesus, half brother of Jesus. He didn't, at least from the gospels, we don't pick up that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah until he came back um, from the dead uh, three days after he was crucified, and then he placed his faith in Jesus and he became um, one of the primary leaders in uh the church of jerusalem and so um, he uh... He was a primary leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he was writing this letter to the church that was dispersed among the nations. Okay, so we don't know exactly who those people were. It could have been Jewish Christians. It could have been Gentile Christians. It could have been a a combination of both. But regardless, he's writing out to them, and more than likely this was after the persecution began in Jerusalem, and people were beginning to be killed because they were placing faith in Jesus Christ, and then the church spread from Jerusalem out because of that. And so he's writing to these Christians, and he's writing about practically putting faith and works together. What it looks like to have real religion, not the, the stuffy theology, not the, I'm going to ascend to an intellectual um, place and feel good about that, like I have really good theology, and therefore I'm a good Christian, even though I don't have any works in my life, even though I don't really serve the orphan or the widow, I'm good because I have the best theology. He's writing to them to highlight multiple areas where it's like, no, like, like you show me your faith without works and I'm going to show you my faith by my works. That, that it's not a salvation by, fa- I mean by works, um, but that out of a natural progression of placing faith in Jesus Christ and understanding the gospel that those works will follow. And so we're, we're following up after the passage last time talking about how faith and works, um, combined, um, that there's a natural progression of those, and now he's going to jump into something that's super practical, okay? Really, really practical for for believers back then um, and extremely practical for, for us as believers today. Um, and so we're going to be talking about um, taming the tongue, right, and the power of words. I don't have to be a, a counselor to know that words hurt. They hurt, Right? We have um, funny little sayings like uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, um, which is stupid. Uh, that's not true uh, because words are seriously painful if not used properly. In addition to that, words can be harmful, not just hurtful, but harmful to us just spiritually um, and emotionally and intellectually. So if you're being taught something that is wrong, then that can be damaging to your soul, right? It can be damaging to your mind if you're being taught something that's wrong point in case, think about Hitler, right? He's a great orator. He, he, could, he could give a, a speech like nobody else and get the people to rally behind him and commit genocide. You think that, that words didn't have power there? Or you can look at somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., if we want to look at another, uh, like a positive example, where, where he had followers follow after him and um, in the civil rights movement uh, bring peace into the midst of the persecution that was going on, and and because of his influential speeches like I Have a Dream, um, he had a following of people and kept putting fire in their gut to be able to walk into the midst of knowing that they were going to be arrested or beaten or mistreated and not have to swing back at them, knowing that love would ultimately prevail, right? And so so words are significant on a large social level, but they're significant on a personal level and they're significant on an intellectual level and they're significant on a spiritual level and an emotional level, right? So it's super, super practical. Um, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I think back to my childhood. I know that some of you guys aren't that far past your childhood, but I think back to my childhood and I think about some of the things that were said to me and how they've continued to affect me um, even today um, in my relationship with Aaron. And she knows some of the things that were said to me um, by my family members, by friends. Um, and if if I was to believe that those things didn't affect me, or if I was trying to convince myself that those things didn't affect me, I would just be dishonest. Because the reality is is that they cut super deep, right? At the same time, Aaron also knows um, some of these life-giving words that people have spoken into my life, such as the time that I met with John Eldridge. Ugh. Man, they're so awesome, right? But like, life-giving. Right? And I left that and we'll never forget that conversation. Um, and it was, it breathed life and brought truth into an area and a season of my life. They carry power. Words are powerful. And if we think any different, then we're fooling ourselves. And so James highlights that in this passage. So we're going to be picking up in chapter three, verse one. So I'm going to read the entire passage and then we're going to look at it, um, part by part. So James chapter one, I mean, chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged more with greater strictness, which I don't like that verse. It's not easy for me because obviously I'm a teacher, um, especially of the word of God. And so like every time I read that, I'm like, ooh, okay, thanks, James. Thanks for reminding me of that. Anyways, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, we see in this passage a lot of images, okay? So I really like James, and I think that I haven't realized this until this go-around through James, that I'm a very visual person, and I need images to understand things, and he uses images all the way through the whole thing. So I think it's less that I'm at like, Prone to being distracted, and more that he uses all these images, and I'm like, oh, I get that, like I understand that. I I don't have to think like theoretically. Like I can think about a fig tree producing olives. Of course, that doesn't make sense, right? Um, so what we're going to do is we're gonna we're gonna look at these images that he gave us, and hopefully mine out some some really good truths. And and at the end of this lesson, what I hope to do is to give you guys really p- practical application to what this actually means for you guys in your context today. Okay. But the first point um, that we that I've already discussed, but um, the, that we have up here, is that the tongue is small but extremely, extremely powerful. So I've already um, shared a little bit about uh, the tongue being a powerful thing. Um, but this is what this entire passage is about. It, the tongue can do great, great good. It can bless, right? It can, it can, it can. Worship, like what Caleb was saying. Like, it can do a lot of really great things. But at the same time, the tongue, let's not be fooled, can also destroy a lot of things. And I like the, the images that um, James uses because it highlights how powerful the tongue is Um, And then also how destructive the tongue can be if we don't bridle it like a horse when we bridle it with a a bit in its mouth. So that's actually the first image that he gives in James 3, 2 through 3, Um, a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, I don't know if you guys have been around horses much. Um, I do, well, have done equine-assisted therapy at... um, at Lantern Lane. And I remember going through a training, uh, thing that a lady put on up there to help us understand how to keep safe around horses. And the reason for that is because horses are massive and they're also really, really, really strong animals. I mean, they're, they're awe inspiring. Whenever they start running around, like it'll send chills down your back because it's like, that's a extremely powerful animal. And so, so this powerful animal that's 900 pounds or so, um, we can tame, put a bit in its mouth that's a little piece of metal that's just a few inches long, and then hop on its back, and of course there's a process to that, but hop on its back, and we can tell a 900-pound horse exactly where we want it to go. It controls it, that little tiny piece of metal in its mouth. And, and so we went through this training... And I remember thinking to myself, like, because I had done um, equine assisted there uh, before going through this training, which probably wasn't the smartest idea. But we didn't have the training whenever I got there, so whatever. Um, but I remember like her sharing um, various things, like, definitely don't do this, and definitely don't do this. And I'm like, done that, and I've done that, okay. And definitely don't do that. And 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 it it amazes me. Like how beautiful and powerful a horse is, and it can be used for great good. Yet at the same time, because it's so powerful, it can also be very, very destructive. Right, and it can harm you in a in a moment's notice, like stomping on your foot, literally breaking and shattering bones. You know, without even thinking about it. And so, so Paul, I mean, not Paul James, um, talks about how this little tiny piece of metal in a horse's mouth can can turn it and tell it what to do. Right and that that it controls the entire animal, okay? And then the second um, image that he gives, if you aren't into equine stuff, um, is the rudder on a ship and how the entire ship in comparison to this rudder is super, super small. Well, the entire ship is large, but the rudder is super, super small, right? And so he, and I got this picture because um, on our boats, like it's it's hard, if you haven't been on like a sailboat or something actually uses a rudder, like where the engine moves, I guess that's called a prop motor, I don't know. I'm looking back at Caleb to see if he knows. Um, anyways, because I was thinking like, oh well, that's you know like that's kind of like a modern way of doing it. But on these older boats, he even talks about the the wind and the sails, and that that it's driven by the power of the wind. And this massive boat can be controlled by a little tiny rudder, right? And so again, he's drawing a parallel between like how small the tongue is, and yet how powerful it is in directing our lives how small the tongue is and yet how powerful it is to either guide our lives in a positive direction or guide our lives in a destructive direction, okay? And, and that with that great power comes great responsibility. And so he's going to highlight that, yeah, like, like we need to be careful about what we allow to spew out of our mouth because if we allow things to come out of our mouth, it can bring great destruction, which is the next um, image that he gave. Um, the tongue is powerful, but it's also very destructive if we aren't careful, so the third image that he gives, the third illustration, um, is a forest fire. And so if you've ever, uh, well, I guess we had the um, fires um, in the Smokies recently, but it just started with something very small, and then it just spread like wildfire. Obviously, it's a wildfire, but spread, okay? And and it was out of control within moments, and they had to fight it for a long time. I remember when I was um, in youth group, when I was your guys' age, um, I had a youth minister, his name is Chris Madison, and he gave an illustration um, almost every time when we did this uh, passage. He gave an illustration that I thought was really, really helpful. And I can't remember if he actually did this or if um, it was an illustration that he used. He shared it as if he kind of did it, so I'm assuming that maybe he did. Um, really, that doesn't matter. Uh, but he, he used this illustration. He said in his youth group, there were a couple of girls that decided that they would gossip and um, that they would... Uh, uh, share something about a girl that shouldn't have been shared. Um, and I can't remember if it was true or not. really doesn't matter. It wasn't their place to share it. And, um, and so what happened was that, like, it spread in their school. And this girl was, like, devastated by it, obviously. And her uh, social, um, uh, you know, circles were talking about her. And she was losing friends. And it came back to that these two girls decided to start a rumor about her um, and to share things that they weren't supposed to. So the uh, youth minister uh, brought them into his office, and he was like, Hey, like, I'm glad that you guys could come in. Um, I've kind of heard what's, what's uh, going on, and I want you guys to follow me. And so they followed him through the church. He went up a ladder um, inside the church, got up on the roof with them, and um, he had a pillow, two pillows up there with them. And uh, they were kind of confused, obviously. They're like, What is going on? Um, and so he said, Here's uh, some scissors, and here's the pillows you'll cut a hole in your pillows, like just cut a hole, and now what I want you to do is I want you to hold it over the side of the building and just shake it until all the feathers are out. And so the girls were like, okay, that's kind of weird, but, I mean, it's better than him reprimanding us, right? And so they proceed, and, of course, the wind takes the feathers, and they're just all over the place. Um, And so they get done, and then he looks at them and he says, now go pick them all up, put them back in the pillow. And, and they were obviously um, baffled by that. They were like, well, of course we can't do that. They're all over the place. And he's like, that's exactly what your words did. And now you can't get them back. And this girl's reputation is ruined because you guys did that. And so he gives that illustration to show that, like, it just takes one rumor or it just takes one gossip, like, thing that you weren't supposed to share and you share it with one person. You think that that person's going to keep it a secret, maybe. And then they share it with somebody, and they don't care to keep secrets. And then the next thing you know, it's spread all over the place. And you've ruined somebody's reputation, and it's destructive like a forest fire. And if we aren't careful, you know, like that illustration I think is helpful um, in helping us understand how it affects other people. But if we aren't careful, we, our lives, our realm of influence can also be destroyed by something that we started. That we, we thought wasn't a big deal, and then next thing you know it gets turned around and that person's gossiping and spreading rumors and so forth. So it's like a forest fire. Um it just gets started with a small little spark, small little fire, and it spreads. In Proverbs um, twelve eighteen it says that words of a reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of a wise brings healing. Words have the power to heal and to wound. Okay, so so not only is the uh, the tongue a small small part of the body, yet so powerful, and the words are so powerful. Um, they have the power to be destructive, like a forest fire. Okay, but they also have the power to heal. And I love, um, if you read through scripture, like this is all through scripture, like literally if you search, what does the Bible say about, uh, the tongue or what does the Bible say about using your words wisely? Like it will pull up dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of really, really good passages that talk about how words can be used for destruction or words can be used for giving life and bringing truth and, and the contrast between the two. It's especially, um, and Aaron just got through Proverbs, um, Recently, and, and it's, it's especially true in Proverbs, it's all through it, that a prudent man holds his tongue and that an unwise man is the one that just kind of talks with whatever, whatever comes to his mind, right? And so, so these words um, have the possibility of wounding and bringing destruction, but let's not forget that the words have the possibility of also bringing healing and reconciliation and good things, blessings, right? And that they have just as much power to do that as they do the destruction, okay? Um, so because the tongue is extremely powerful though, and, and you can either use it for good or you can use it for evil, um, James then moves into, uh, giving two warnings. So he gives the first warning. He says, Hey, listen, like we can tame any animal, but cannot tame the tongue. Okay. So I got this picture, which is really intense. I don't know if that lion actually has something on him holding him back, but he looks ticked and this dude's over here waving a wand at him. Okay, Um, but obviously he's taming the lion. Um, And like we can tame a lion, like we can tame a grizzly bear, we can tame a dolphin, like we can do all this, and yet we can't tame the tongue. So do not be fooled in thinking that like, hey, we can just kind of like let the tongue do whatever it wants to. Because it's destructive. It would be like going out with a wild lion and acting like, oh, it's no big deal. Like it's cute. Of course it's cute. And it's powerful, and it can do some really awesome things. But man, it can be really destructive, really destructive if I'm not cautious, right? And so, so what he's highlighting is like, don't be fooled. The tongue can be destructive. It, 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 it you can't tame it. But at the same time, it can be a great blessing. Okay, and he's he's bringing his um, argument to a point. Where he's going to talk about the blessing and the cursing and how those two come together, but that's the first warning. The second warning is it's a restless. You're welcome, Aaron, for the snake. Um, it's a restless evil full of poison. Aaron is deathly afraid of snakes. Uh, restless evil full of poison. So um, a lot of times when Aaron and I talk about like people just like being really hateful, like we we say that they're spitting venom. Okay and and we don't necessarily we aren't like trying to be biblically like theologically correct in saying that but like when you read this like like James is clearly saying like he just talked about animals and how we can we can tame any of the animals but can't tame the tongue and then he talks about poison so the natural progression in your brain isn't like oh it's a witch's cauldron and she's made poison like the natural progression in your brain is like it's a snake you know or it's a viper that's going to take you out like and so so to 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 be warned that like there's poison in the tongue that can be very destructive if we're not careful and if we don't bridle it. Okay? So he's warned us that it can't be tamed when there's poison in it and that it's just as destructive as a fire that can start a forest fire and it's just as powerful as a rudder on a ship that can turn the course of a life and just as powerful as a bit in the mouth of a horse that can turn the course of your life. That's pretty significant. The tongue is a small thing, but it's a very powerful thing. So in James three eight through ten, um, he uh, talks about how the tongue, with the tongue we have great power to bless and a great power to curse, but it shouldn't be both. Um, and James gives three images of this contradiction. So, so he's saying like, hey, listen, like, like you, you you can't you can't have blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. Like it doesn't work that way. Either you're blessing or you're cursing. And, he, and he's highlighting like, hey, listen, like, don't show up to church. And act like you're a good Christian, bless God with your tongue, and then tear somebody apart when you leave this room. And treat them like a piece of trash because they aren't like you. Or, you're at church, and worse yet, you're on social media at church, and you're blasting somebody and trolling them on social media. Right? Or, or don't pretend like that, hey, you have like the right theological words and you have the Sunday school answers, but if you're just cursing, a brother or sister behind their back or, and I'm not talking about like cursing curse words. You understand that, right? Like that's a part of this, but it's not necessarily cursing curse words. What I'm talking about is destructive talk that's meant to cause pain and destruction. Okay? And so, um, so he's saying those two can't be together. And then he uses three images, uh, of contradiction. First image is salt and fresh water. What happens if you mix salt water with fresh water? Yeah, there you go. Good job, Jared. Good job. Okay, so it becomes salt water. There's a contradiction. You can't have a fresh spring that gives out both salt and fresh water. It will all be salt water. Okay, so there's a contradiction there. And then he uses a fig tree yielding olives. Of course, a fig tree is not going to yield olives. That would be weird. Okay? It's just not going to happen. An olive tree is going to bear olives. Okay? A fig tree is supposed to bear figs. And then he uses another agricultural um, image, and he says a grapevine a grapevine um, yielding figs. Of course, that doesn't make sense. If you came up on a vineyard and there's figs growing on the grapes, grapevine, it would be kind of weird, and you'd be like, "Something's not right here," right? So he uses these three contradictions um, to highlight that that the cursing and the blessing that they can't go together, that you can't merge those two. It's one or the other, okay? And yet, like, let me let me be clear on this, okay? Because I know that maybe some of you guys are thinking, well, geez, there's not a whole lot of hope for me because I've definitely used my tongue for destruction. Okay, I get it. Yes, we all have. In fact, he and I find comfort in the passage that says that, um, okay, it says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Anybody perfect in here? No, no me neither. Okay, and we all stumble in many ways. So again, this is not a call to perfection but it is a call to intentional, like, movement towards being um, sanctified and becoming more like Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ wasn't... Well, he cursed a fig tree, which is kind of ironic because we're talking about fig trees here, but that's different, okay? But he wasn't cursing people, okay? Um, he cursed a fig tree because he wanted a snack, and the fig tree didn't have figs. And he was like, die. And then they came back. I know, I'm digressing Aaron. she's saying go on. Okay, anyways. Um, it's an interesting story. You should look it up later. Uh Okay. Now where was I? See, I lost my train of thought. Okay, so, so, uh, okay, so it's not a call to perfection, but it's a call to m- a movement towards holiness. Okay? So, so you can't just continue to curse people and then bless God and say, blessings to you, brother. Oh man, can you believe that guy? Like, he's a, like a complete tool or whatever. And like, like just tear him up whenever he leaves. Like that's not Christ-like at all. And so he's saying that those two can't go together. Alright. So here's some like modern day examples of cursing um, and and tearing down and being destructive with your tongue, bullying. I know that that's a uh, like a buzzword now, um, and it's like bullying. I know that, like bullying awareness is good, um, but like sometimes like people are like they don't really have a good idea of what bullying is. But bullying would be one where like whether it be cyberbullying and you're online and you're trolling somebody and you're just like saying like, yeah, you, you're terrible, you know, and I'm not, I'm not ignorant to your, your generation. And I know that there's people on social media that say things that are extremely, extremely hateful, like, hey, you should just go kill yourself. And you think that that's not having an effect. Of course it's having an effect. And of course those words carry weight. Even if the person laughs it off and says, oh, that's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. And so, so doing that or bullying at school and um, making fun of somebody like that's using words to be destructive. Again, it might seem like a small thing, but going back to the fire illustration, that that small thing can grow into a larger thing. Um, gossiping. Hello. Okay. So, like, let's be real. Okay. Gossiping is a thing, especially, and I'm not being like you know, like I'm not I'm not hating on girls, but a lot of times girls deal with gossiping more than guys. Okay, and I'm not really sure why, but it is what it is. Um, but if we're gossiping about this girl behind her back and tearing her down, what is that showing? Is it showing the love of Jesus Christ? No. Now, we know this, right? But, but again, this is about being intentional and saying, like, I know that, so now what does it look like to be intentional and bridle my tongue instead of just letting it talk about that girl because it feels good and I get friends over here that also don't like that girl and is gossiping about her. What do you think they're doing about you whenever you leave? Think about it, right? So bridle the tongue. Um, Another one is cursing, literally using cuss words. Another one is um, saying hateful things, um, treating somebody like trash, um, speaking hurtful words. Um, I would say that like, like even like being in a clique and making fun of somebody else that's in another type of clique that isn't like you, that that would be um, something that that would be using the tongue for destruction. Mason, you have a question. I was just going back to the bullying thing. One thing that people don't realize is I think Christians bully more than they can do. Um, being holier than thou type deal. Yeah. Um, I I, heard, I think in my past I hurt more people saying how much they weren't a Christian than I did people that were not Christians at all. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Kind of like coming across as like a holier than thou like. Yeah, like I'm saying, like, you kind of a shaming be a bully and still think you're being a good Christian. Right. And and, and, that, and it's so it's hard to realize that. Yeah, you can be a bully and be a good like good Christian and then James highlights like there's a contradiction there. And say like you're a terrible person mm-hmm. you're not doing what I do. Mm-hmm.
1: Like,
0: that that can be a big source of bullying. Yeah. 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 And it yeah.
1: kind of shows, like you said last let's say where, you know, you, you know, we we make fun of people or we're mm-hmm. like you're not a Christian or whatever and someone who's
0: not, sees us, and they're like, oh, you know, why would I want to be a Christian? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so that's not practical, right? It's not a practical Christianity where the faith and the works com- are combined, and it looks, um, it's not always going to look attractive to the world around us because we see that we have a depraved generation around us. But, like, the example of love is what James keeps recycling, right? So he keeps coming back to love Um, love God and love people and then practically walk that out through staying with the orphans, with the widows, bridling your tongue, being slow to speak, being quick to listen and, and, and not showing favoritism to the people that are going to pump you up and make you feel good about yourself or those that can pay you back but instead serve the poor and let the poor guy sit next to you at the table instead of telling the rich guy with gold fingers to come up and sit next to you, right? Practical, 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 practical. Did you have something? Yeah.
1: You're like turning into somebody else that you're not individual person with like different people. Yeah. You're a
0: different person. Okay. Perfect. Because that leads into the application point. So you guys hear that? About becoming a different person in different cliques and stuff? Okay. So why is this important? Why is this important? Okay. Is it important because we're trying to be good Christian boys and good Christian girls? Samuel's saying, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. You guys, I poke fun at that. It's not that that's a bad thing. Okay. But if it stops at me just being a good Christian, or like, boy, then, like, what's the point? I can be a moral person without being a Christian. I can be a good person without being a Christian. There's a lot of good people out there that are not Christians, okay? It goes way, way more deeper than that. So, when Jesus comes, he oftentimes um, brings it, like, highlights, like, okay, so you guys are looking at the law, and you keep the law perfectly, and you think that you keep the law perfectly, but ultimately it's not about keeping all the rules. It's about your heart. And he keeps drawing it back to the heart. You say that you don't murder somebody. Well, if you hold anger in your heart towards that person, like you might as well have already murdered them. Right? So it, it's it's drawing it to the heart. And so this is why this is so important, and this is why this is so powerful. This is what Jesus says, okay, in Luke six forty five. It says, The intrinsically good man produces what is good and the honorable and moral out of the good treasure stored in his heart. And the intrinsically evil man produces what is wicked and depraved out of the evil in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Okay, so this is why this is important. It's not about behavior modification and just, like, don't talk and don't say anything mean and be nice girls and nice boys and do the golden rule and everything's going to be fine in your life. That's not the point. If that was the point, then Jesus could have just said, hey, man, just try harder and just go for it. Like, you can do this. Life would be way easier if that was the point. But that's not the point. The point is the heart, right? So we can clean up the outside of the cup like the Pharisees, but the inside is filled with grime. Or we can whitewash the tomb on the outside, and the inside is filled with dead bones, right? But if we allow our hearts to be transformed, and that out of that, that's the wellspring, okay? That that, that out of our hearts, that like that's what comes out of our mouth, okay? Like what's going on in our hearts comes out of our mouth. Now you say, well, Jonathan, I mean... Not really. I don't really see how that happens. Okay, well, let me, let me just give you a personal example. Maybe you can relate with this. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Okay, so I don't think that I'm a very angry person. Oh, Aaron's <laughs> pursing her lips right now. Because she knows that out of the overflow of my heart, when somebody, like, is raging on the road, like, I rage right back. And it's not even necessarily towards me. It would be somebody riding somebody else's tail. And I'm like, that's so unfair for them to ride their tail, right? And I get like super, super mad. And then it comes out of my mouth and I'm like, not like saying anything like really bad, but like I'm just trashing that person like, can you believe that guy? Like he's got a jacked up truck and he thinks that he's awesome and he's riding that person's tail because they're a grandma and she's got like a handicapped sticker in her window. You know, like, and so out of the overflow of the heart where like there is anger in there, for the injustice or whatever that then comes the, the, the things that are coming out of my mouth. Everybody okay? Right? But that shows what's in our heart. Right. Which is really cool because if you want to know where your heart is at, just pay attention to what you're saying. That tells you exactly where your heart's at. If I'm really quick to, to biting at somebody and being like, just toss them off to the side and just being like, yeah, well, they probably have a personality disorder. Like, they're just annoying. Right? Okay? I've gotten to that place. Aaron's been there with me when I've gotten to that place. But I can tell you that what that says about my heart is that I'm not in a very loving place. In fact, I'm in a very like hateful place or dismissive place. So out of the overflow of my heart comes the the words out of my mouth. Do you have something? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay. Very good question. So, I mean, building up,
1: and then whenever like very I feel like you when you're in a state of emotional
0: anger, though, it's hard for people to speak rationally. Mm-hmm. And instead, they speak emotionally through their anger. Yeah.
1: And so, how do you suggest speaking more calmly?
0: Okay. Yeah, and I, that's a great question. So we could replace anger with a lot of different emotions. Like it could be bitterness or jealousy. It could be a lot of different emotions. So so I think that we can look back to what he talks about with the bridle and the, the horse's mouth, yeah. right, or the, the rudder on the ship, that is it's power, powerful enough to direct our lives. So if I just, like, take the bridle out of the horse's mouth and just let it go, then, like, more than likely I'm going to say things that just aren't helpful, that, like, I might be expressing myself, and I know in our culture it's like, oh, you need to express yourself. And yes, like, yes, we need to acknowledge and express our emotions, but there's a wisdom in expressing them in a bridled way, Right? That's not to, to just blast somebody or hurt somebody on purpose. This, doing it in a bridled way, is not natural for us, is it? No. If I've been hurt or if I feel like that I'm just like really angry, I just want to just like, man, can you believe that guy? And then just go off and maybe not even talk directly to them, but talk to somebody else and toss them underneath the bus or talk directly to them. And we've all been a part of a scenario where somebody has said something extremely hurtful to us because they've gotten emotionally dysregulated. So what this is calling us to isn't necessarily like not being true to our, like what we're experiencing. What I think that he's calling us to is like, what does it look like in those moments to put the bridle in? What does it look like in those moments, like in James chapter 1, where he says, be slow to speak? doesn't mean don't speak, but be slow to speak. So to be wise to slow it down and be like, okay, what would be helpful? There's been times I've been with Aaron, and like, we drive home, and it's like immediate. Out here on 96, somebody's riding my tail or something like that, because I'm in a Prius, right? And so that starts a cycle. Uh, Yeah, I know, everybody's laughing. It's a real thing. It's Yeah, it's Prius bullying. That's what it is. But, like, it starts a cycle for me, and I have a choice in that moment, okay? To, to just let it continue, let it continue to spew, and then the next person that, the next person that does something, like, I'm just that much more hateful and let it spew, and let it spew, and let it just go out of control. Like a horse that's just out of control, that's really powerful, that can do a lot of damage. It doesn't seem like it in that moment, but ultimately, like, Aaron's receiving the damage in that moment. Right? Watching me rage at people for no reason. And so for me to bridle my tongue and to express, like, I cannot believe this guy's riding my tail, but express it in a way that's that's true to, like, this is reality. He's riding my tail and he's making me angry as opposed to, like, going off the Richter scale and being, like, brake-checking him or whatever, which I've never done because I'm fearful that they're going to run in the back of me. But, but, like, I think that that's what he's getting at here. Not a perfect like I just don't ever say anything that might be um harmful in fact I think that something that's really important for us as Christians to understand is that that sometimes it takes risk to speak truth into somebody's life that's a fellow brother or sister in Christ and speak truth that that could come across as hurtful right and and yet have powerful powerful implications in their life in guiding them and directing them like if a brother's stepping out of like what I know is biblically not not good then, then, then as a Christian friend to him, I should be brave enough to step into that and to speak something that for him it might come across as hurtful, um, but ultimately it's truth. So I don't know if that like completely answers your question. No, it does. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah.
1: I think our culture has created the norm that if we don't rage back, then Basically, we are holding it in and we're um, letting anger build up to where it's going to spew out on some innocent. Person, when yes, that can happen, but we joke about this term. But like, there are healthy ways to respond. So like, road rage is can be a serious thing. But like, on a more serious note, like if Jonathan did speak hatefully towards me, mm-hmm. the norm in our culture would be for me to spew back at him and say I hate you, and like just just amplify whatever he has said to me that's hurt, and then try to say something back that I know is going to dig deep and hurt him. Mm-hmm. When really Even though if he were to say something very hateful to me, I could take a deep breath and then just continue to love him and not allow it to build up. Like, that is possible. Whereas in our culture, they're like, well, how do you not just, like, hate him and have bitterness towards him and just treat him like crap because he treats you like crap? Yeah. But there's a way to do that in a healthy way that's not going to build up to where you explode back at somebody. So, like, a husband and wife would be a more serious... Mm -hmm. Uh, Example. Or so like in everyday life, driving on the road, doing some, just taking a deep breath and not allowing yourself to get ticked as something that really isn't even significant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And cultural norm is to just
1: rage back at somebody because they wronged you. Yeah. I think we can, like, society, we can use it with, like, if you don't rage back, or maybe not necessarily rage, but you're not... How we are supposed to stick out for ourselves. Yeah. Or if you if you don't meet them at their level, yeah, then you're not taking up for yourself and you're yeah. weak. But that's yeah. not that's not it at all. Right. I think it shows strength to like to walk away. I think that that shows more strength than just letting
0: yourself get mad at the smallest thing. Yeah. And there's wisdom in slowing it down. I mean really like the image of the the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder is like we can replace that with self control. Right? And so, like, being self-controlled in those moments, um, and, and wisely, in a godly way, responding, right? So, if, if I have a gospel lens, and I'm, I'm, I'm really connected with what Jesus has done for me, like, I'm in a much more gracious and loving place. So, when somebody wrongs me, or somebody does something, or somebody's not like me, and I just, like, don't like that, then, then I'm much less likely to to jump into judgment or jump into just tearing them down because, like, like I don't like what they just did to me. You see what I'm saying? And so, so like, for us to be um, godly in our responses doesn't necessarily mean that we just stuff it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't express ourselves. In fact, I would, I would venture to say, I watched this um, uh, video, and I don't know why this just came to mind, but maybe it'll be helpful. I watched this video, and it was um, U2, U2's Bono, and he was meeting with um, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message. And Eugene Peterson has this really beautiful house and stuff. He's retired now, but um, Bono like sits down with them, has this conversation with them, and they're talking about the Psalms, okay, like in the Bible. Um, and Eugene Peterson said something interesting in that uh, video. That like the one thing that really stood out to me was, you have to learn how to cuss without cussing. And what he means by that is articulating things so well that you don't have to use blunt force. To articulate things in such a way that like you're, you're genuinely like, like communicating the depths of your heart and your soul. Not, not using the cuss word just because it's an easy thing and it'll get a shock factor. And so there's a wisdom in that. And you read that through the message, right, where he uses like terminology and stuff that like, Honestly, I would never even think about using. But because he gave great thought to it um, and, and really like wrestled with articulating that, there's a wisdom in that. Again, bridling the tongue, turning it. It's powerful, especially if you know how to use it. Okay, we got to keep moving. Um, thank you for the, the feedback though. That was, that was really cool. Uh, okay, so, um, so it points to the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart comes the words of the mouth. So here's the application, okay? So we're getting to the application. This is what's really, really important and cool about this, I think, for you guys, is that, that okay, so follow the logic here. So out of the overflow of the heart comes the words of the mouth, okay? So we're going to start at the words. So so if I can listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth or listen to the words that are coming out of somebody else's mouth, I can pretty much tell where their heart is at, okay? So this is a a, a revelation of where a person's heart is, okay? So... Now, over here in the heart. Okay. So, so that's the external, um, uh, di- uh, display of what's going on in the heart. Now, what's really cool is that, that what's going on behind the scene with the heart. Okay. So behind the scene with the heart is where you find your identity. Okay. So, so out of, out of where your heart is rooted is your identity. So what I mean by that is not, not, not necessarily like, like maybe what you think of immediately. But what I mean by that is that, okay, so this is the overflow of my heart, and my heart is in a it is either in a good place or bad place or in between somewhere, but, but my heart is rooted in an identity of who I believe that I am and who Christ says I am. And if I'm unrooted from that and I'm planting my roots in, if I'm going to be, uh, let's say, that my identity is a husband or my identity is a youth minister or my identity is, you know, like the guy that has all the cool apple stuff, Right? Or my identity is like the guy that drives a Prius. Or my identity is the guy that can play basketball and golf and like, so, so if my identity is rooted in those things, Christ aside right now, and it doesn't go deeper than that, okay, these are a part of like who I am, sort of. Um, but if it's rooted in this, and then somebody comes along and challenges that, what do you think I'm gonna do? Yeah, challenge them back. Like, like, it's a natural progression. So if my heart's rooted in this and you come along and let's say that um, that Samuel here, like and I don't know, but Samuel here is better at golf than me, but I take a lot of pride and I have a lot of identity in how good I am at golf. Okay, don't lose me on this illustration. I know that this is personal to me, but like think about yourself where you find identity, what you take pride in, okay? And he comes along and, and he beats me in golf, all right? Or let's say that he plays with Mason and Mason's like, dude, like Samuel's really good at golf. Like we're having a conversation later. Well if my identity is in golf and it's being a good golfer and i'm good, i got to be the best then what am i going to say to mason yeah i guess he's good but i think that he like you know moves his ball and you know like I, I don't think that he's actually like like playing by the rules i saw him drop the ball out the bottom of his pants and like like he was cheating you know like i'm just tearing him apart why because my identity is in this and this is changing and it's being challenged so of course i'm going to curse them you following me or let's say this. This is really, really, really personal for me, okay? So so sometimes I compare myself to other youth ministers or other people that are pastors. Why do I do that? Well, because I'm insecure in my identity. I'm insecure in my identity and who I am as a person. So I look to, like, Pastor Kenneth, for instance, and I'm like, man, he's like a great expositional preacher, and, like, that's just not my style. I wish that was my style. It's, like, really, like... Like, well rounded and stuff. And I'm like, sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do it. Okay? Or I'll look at like, um, like Matt Chandler or like Francis Chan or Louis Gilio. And I tell you what, if you can go back in my story, oh, it's so funny. Oh, man. So I have like torn pastors apart in my story. Okay? Not, not to their face, but like, if, let's say Bethany, who is my, uh, big sister, she, um, Let's see, she read Radical, okay? This is when Radical came out. David Platt wrote Radical, okay? I made a joke that David Platt was the platypus, okay? And, and I um, bashed that book because I thought that like, like, that I knew more than David Platt because I'd been to Africa twice and like he was talking about living a radical lifestyle and I thought that it was shallow. Okay, why did I do that? Why did I trash him? I didn't have anything necessarily against David Platt. Exactly. Because my identity was wrapped up in me being the most, like, most profoundly, like, the most profound thinker in my family or, like, the most, like, willing to, um, to, to like, put myself out there on the line and, yeah, he can write a book and yet I'm out there. You know, and, like, why does he get the glory? Okay, so now we're hitting at the heart of it. Why does he get the glory? And not me. Right, and so I'm cursed. we're cursing them in that moment. Like, we're using the tongue to tear them apart. Just slash them. Right? Because I'm not secure in my identity in Christ. Now, what's so funny about that, because you guys think, like, geez, Jonathan, like, ooh. Okay, what's funny about that is, like, God has worked on me immensely um, over the years. And, like, I love that book. And, honestly, I, I listen to David Platt a lot. And, like, I really, really, really appreciate the way that he teaches and, like, get a lot from it. And, and and so, like, he's worked on me, but, but, like, it's like David Platt, and then, like, Louis Giglio is one that I tore apart, and then, like, Francis Chan, and, like, like, all these guys that, like, you know, people were, like, applauding and saying, like, oh, they're doing, like, you know, great things. And I was feeling so insecure in myself, just not doing a whole lot of anything. Well, I went to Africa, you know, and, like, I don't get any, like, you know, pat on the back or whatever. It's all about me and not about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So it's challenging. It's challenging that part of my identity. And because I'm not rooted in Jesus, of course I'm going to punch back and be like, no, i got to maintain that identity. You following me? Okay, you got something? I don't need to be like that That's okay. Go ahead. You sure? Okay. Um, okay, so, uh, so the identity here, the heart is rooted in it, and out of the overflow of the heart comes the words of our mouth. Okay, so the application is this. Words which have great power um, to build up or destroy are an overflow of the heart. The heart is rooted in your identity. If your identity is in something other than Jesus, and this identity is threatened, you will curse whatever's threatening your identity. It's too personal. It's too important. You will, eventually. You might not do it immediately, but you will eventually if it keeps getting challenged and your identity doesn't go further than what sports team you're on or what. You know, hobbies you have, or what you're good at, or, you know, what you drive, whatever. Those things that are pseudo identities. And then the last one if your identity is rooted in the gospel, you will bless. Okay, so, so our identity, like, though those are parts of my identity, like me being a husband, or me driving a Prius, or me, like, playing golf, or whatever, those are part of my identity and they aren't bad, okay? But if it does, if my identity doesn't go deeper than that and that's just it, then I will continue to, to to curse people when they get close to that and challenge it. But if my identity goes deeper than that into the gospel, into the cross, into Jesus Christ, and I realize, like, no, like, Jesus Christ has redeemed me, right? And that he's given me value, and I don't have to be David Platt. I don't have to be Francis Chan. I don't have to be Tiger Woods. I don't have to beat Samuel and Gough. I don't have to have the coolest car. Like, I don't have to do that. Like, and, and it's okay. I can release that. And then when I'm releasing that, then I can celebrate with people when they're good, when they when they when when they are getting the spotlight. Like I can celebrate. I celebrated when David Platt was uh, voted, or I don't know if he's voted or like if he's hired or whatever, a president of the North or the International Mission Board. I was celebrating that. Five years ago, I would have been like, oh gosh, the platypus, you know? Like, but it's because God is moving me to a deeper understanding of my my identity in Christ, and therefore, like, I'm less shaken and less moved by um, my identity being questioned because that identity doesn't change. So therefore, I can enter in to scenarios, any scenario, and I know that I'm secure in my identity in Christ, and I can show the love of Christ to people, regardless. And I can bring healing into that. I can I can step into the brokenness of this world and not be shaken by it and bring the love of Christ into that. And that's exactly what James is talking about. He's saying, listen, like, this is practical stuff. This is not sitting up in your ivory tower talking about theology. This is not coming to church and being like, yes, let's talk about uh, the theological point of uh, the fifth point of two up and all. Uh, like, no. Like, no. It's about loving it's about bridling our tongue. It's about not showing favoritism. It's about hanging out with the orphans and the widows. It's about being slow to speak and being quick to, to, to listen and being slow to anger. Like This is true religion. It's about faith being coupled with works. Not because we're saved by the works, but because like that's a natural progression. If I understand the gospel, of course. If I understand the gospel, then of course I want to bridle my tongue. Of course, I want to allow Jesus to use the power of my tongue for something better than me trashing somebody and destroying them. Of course. So, my challenge, and Band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. My challenge as we uh, sing our last song, all right, is for you to kind of like look inward, okay, to your heart, and you can take this progression. You can look at the words that you've been speaking, and then ask yourself the question what does that say about my heart? Okay? What have my conversations been revolving around? What does that say about my heart? And then take your heart to Jesus. And ask him to speak into your heart in whatever way he desires to. Okay? Um, and to, to illuminate and bring light to any areas of your heart that you're holding on to resentment or bitterness or jealousy or anger or whatever. Um, so as we sing uh, this last song, um, I encourage you guys to do that. If any of you guys do want to talk about like what it means um, to, to know Jesus Christ and to place your faith in him. Like, I'm always available to do that. Um, I know that I don't say that very often down here, but um, I wanted you guys to know that I'm always available to talk with you guys if in this uh, this time of response, if you guys do want to talk. Um, so I'll obviously be where I always am over there next to the soundboard. But um, if you guys want to go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll um, we'll sing our last song. Father, thank you so much for um, all the things that you have blessed us with in the student ministry, and I thank you, God, for um, the way that your word touches our hearts and our, our minds and our souls. I pray, Lord, that tonight's lesson, including for myself, that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, and that, God, we would be sincere about what it means to bridle our tongue or to steer the ship of our lives with our tongue. And that we would see the seriousness and the the gravity of um, what our words can bring, whether it be destruction or healing. And, God, that we would be intentional about using them to bring glory to your name. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you this time.